right, you may be seated. Uh, I am uh, glad to be here with you this morning. Uh, if I haven't met you, my name's Fayez. Uh, I'm the lead pastor here. I know we got some, some guests here. If I haven't got to say hey to you, maybe I can meet you after the service today. Um, we've been um, in a series on Acts. Now, now before I do that, I want to let you know this. Uh, we've had a busy season as a church. We just had all the stuff for Fall Festival and for Family Fun Day. And we got Operation Christmas Child going on right now. We had the tailgate at FSU yesterday. I mean, it's been, it's been a busy season. And we, are, uh, we finalized our plans for Christmas right now. And I am really excited about them. But I'm not ready to tell you all of those dates yet today. Uh, but we've got some things I'm really pumped about. So in the coming weeks, be looking for that information. Because uh, I, I'm excited about some of the stuff that, that we've got going on. Okay, that's my free little service announcement there. Uh, book of Acts, we've been jumping into it. And listen, I have loved the book of Acts so far. This, this early church is just absolutely awesome. Like if you've, if you've read through the book of Acts and you see God's plan for the original church, it's like this beautiful thing, man. Like it's, it's this thing where they're getting together every day, studying the word, eating meals together in each other's homes. Like they are radically committed to following Jesus and loving the other people in the church and to reaching their city with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's been, it's been awesome to see. You see this small little band of these weak men and women. And you see this group of 120, and you see God use it to explode. And by this point in Acts, it's probably around 20,000 people big. Like, and we're not talking like years of work. We're talking weeks and months of God working in this city. And this small little band of 100 people is 20,000. Like I can't even imagine the excitement of what it was like to be in that early church where Every day when you got together, there's another story of someone else getting saved. There's, there's another story of families placing their trust in Jesus. There's another story over and over and over again of friends bringing their friends to Jesus and they're showing up at your living room. Like, can you imagine church like that? Like, when I think about it and I think about my experience with church, this sometimes is the complete opposite, right? Uh, in our church, sometimes our goal is, man, if we could just get people here on a regular basis on a Sunday. And these dudes are begging to be with each other every single day. Like, it, like it's awesome. And, and then all of a sudden, last week, we saw that the pressure started mounting on the church. And we saw this, this intense moment with Stephen, this guy that was a deacon that stood up for Jesus, and he paid the ultimate sacrifice. He, he died. They, they murdered Stephen. And and listen, as I'm looking at that in this, in this part in the book of Acts, here's what's going on in my head. I'm asking myself this question. Like this young church that's exploding, like Jesus gave them this mission. Do you, do you remember the mission that he gave them? Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says this. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And, and look at this task, this job that he gave them. They can't do it without the Spirit. It's not about a plan they're supposed to come up with. They need the Spirit to do this. This task he gave them, he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Like I, like I imagine when they heard that mission, it, I think it made their heart burn. I, I, not like bad heartburn, but like, like I should have thought about that when I wrote that out. Uh, it didn't give them heartburn. It could have, stressing them out. But I think it made something inside them really excited, made their hearts beat fast for Jesus. When they thought, man, we're going to see people all over the world. 
We're going to see people all over the world place their trust in Jesus and get saved. They get to be invited into right relationship with God. We get to be a part of this thing to the very ends of the earth. Now, I think that mission made them excited. And, and they were doing it, right? Like in this moment, it's hard to sit there and go, man, church, you've been blowing it. You've only reached 20,000 people in a few months. Like, I wish you would get your act together and reach the whole world. Like, like they've been seriously doing it. Like, it's been explosive. And I, I imagine that that was an exciting time for the church. But, but this moment, when one of their own, Stephen, is killed, I got to say, they got to start asking some questions about this mission that God gave, right? Like, all of a sudden, this... This doesn't feel like it's just fun and games anymore. Like There's serious consequences right now suddenly for following Jesus. And not just some people who are mad at me. We're talking about people getting murdered because they trust in Jesus. Now, I don't know. Like The early church has to be asking this question. Hey, is, is this worth it? Like, do I really want to go after this mission? Because now there are very serious physical consequences for that. And, and when I think about me and trying to engage the mission, I don't even need the threat of physical violence to make me nervous about the mission. Right? Like, like for me, when I think about engaging the mission, if I'm really, really honest, there's internal pressure, not even the external pressure. The internal pressure keeps me from engaging it effectively, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? When I think about trying to reach my neighbors or coworkers or family members or whatever, when I think about that, when I think about engaging that, that internal pressure, like, man, it feels really uncomfortable, right? The discomfort of it, right? The, the, the concern of what they're going to think about me or if I get it wrong, rejection, like uh, the fear of rejection wells up deep within me or even just, I just, I don't want to spend the time and energy to get after this, right? Like if I'm going to be after the mission, that really changes my free time, right? Like the, the internal consequences keep me from the mission and, and I'm sure all of that is, is influencing this church right now. So the question we're asking, what's going to happen to this little movement now that persecution is full-fledged, like it's straight on right now? So let's look at Acts chapter 8. All right, and remember Stephen is just, has just gotten uh, murdered, and this guy named Saul has been approving of it. Look at Acts chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul approved of his execution, of Stephen's execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. Like, listen, it, it's going all over the city. All 20,000 are now, now targeted. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So listen, this, this church that was so tight-knit and close, they're literally scattered everywhere. They're not all in Jerusalem anymore. They've had to leave homes and careers and families. Like, they're having to pack up and move because the persecution is so intense. And they have to move out of town. They're spreading out in the region. Judea would be like their, their county or, or like North Florida. They're spreading out a long ways away. Except for the apostles, they're staying in Jerusalem. Verse 2, devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. Like they got to be devout. Like if you're going to bury this dude, you know the moment I go grab Stephen's body, I'm marked by all of these guys. There is now not just a little bullseye on me. There's a huge bullseye on me because I just want to bury my friend that they murdered. And now they're going to come after me next. So these committed men say, listen, we're going to go bury him. Verse 3, but Saul was ravaging the church. 
He's, he's, he's literally, he's not out to pester it. He wants to obliterate every single follower of Jesus. And he's getting after it. I mean, big time after it. Look at, what it, look at how it describes what he does. He's entering house after house, and he's dragging off men and women and committing them to prison. Like, this dude is literally kicking down doors. Like, you're meeting in the house, and I find out. I'm coming over there. I'm kicking the door down. We're dragging every single one of you. Men and women, we're dragging you out, and we're throwing you in prison. Now, man, I started thinking about that. I started thinking about this, this young church and the frustration they must have. Like, Jesus, we want to follow you. Like, are, are you going to protect us from this? Like, what we knew was going to be hard and costly, but we're just getting started in our city, and they're already cracking in on our small groups. Like, I'm trying to picture what that's like as a father, and all of a sudden, I can't make it a small group that night, and I show up and find out my wife just got dragged out and thrown in prison. But I, I, my kids are trying to figure out what's going to happen with mom and dad if they're getting arrested, all because they want to follow Jesus. Like, there is tremendous pressure to bail on this. And I, I'm asking, like, okay, what's going to happen here? What, what are they going to do? Listen, I, I love how this church responds. Look at verse 4. Now, those who were scattered, and look at what they went about doing. They went about preaching the word. Dude, this is solid. Like, this is... Like, they're like, you know what, fine, you're going to run me out of town, but here's what's going to happen. I'm going to the place that I go with the gospel, and I'm not learning my lesson. I'm not saying, hey, it was too costly in Jerusalem, so round two, when I show up in Judea or Samaria, I'm going to keep my mouth shut. I'm just going to slide in. Like, no, I'm telling everybody about Jesus. And here's what we notice. It's not the apostles who were spreading out telling everyone about Jesus. It's the regular men and women of that church. It's not that, they're not saying, hey, we got to get a pastor over here to stand up once a week and preach this phenomenal sermon and then everyone gets saved. That's not their plan. Their plan is the regular people, you and me out there, literally living life and sharing the gospel everywhere they go. This is God's plan. God's plan from the beginning was not elite superstars doing phenomenal things for him. His plan was regular you and me being used by him to reach people for the gospel. That's his plan. It's still his plan. And listen, I, I'm saying this over and over again, but if you don't feel like a rock star, welcome to the club. None of us are. Like, look around. No offense. Please don't be offended by that. If you thought you were a rock star and I just burst your bubble, welcome to church. <laughs> right? We're just, we're just regular, common, normal people. The, the, the power of the church is not that the people are phenomenal. It's that the gospel is strong. It's strong enough to even use me and you. That's, that's good news, church. And it's the same gospel and the same God and the same Holy Spirit that you and I have right now. The same thing. And this church, man, they show up in Judea and Samaria and they just start, they start sharing the gospel. And they focus in on one guy, one guy named Philip. He's one of the deacons that they picked in chapter 6. Look at what it says in verse 6. Um, and our verse five says this, Philip went down to the city of Samaria. Now this is, this is an issue for a Jew. You should know that. Samaritans and Jews, not friends. We don't like each other uh, at all. We don't like each other. Like, 
They got beef with each other. That's what we said in the 90s. I don't know what we say now. They, there's issues. Okay, we got issues. Jews don't like Samaritans. Samaritans don't like Jews. Like, they just don't. And so here's Philip going to these people. Like, you need to think about this. The Samaritans are considered half-breeds by the Jews. They're, they're kind of Jewish, but they're not real Jewish, so they're, they're impure. They're heretics. Their doctrine is off. They don't believe all the Old Testament. They just do the first five books of the Old Testament. They don't even like Jerusalem. Like, it's so bad that there's stories. Um, if you read the Gospels, you'll read stories that when the people from Galilee are going to Jerusalem, they go around Samaria. Why? Because there's stories during that time that if they went through Samaria, there were groups of Samaritans that would attack the Jews and there were massacres that happened by Samaritans to Jews that killed them because they were going, uh, they were going to Jerusalem. Like when I say there was beef between the Samaritans and the Jews, there was like for real beef, all right? Like it was not a pleasant relationship. And then here's Philip going to half-breed heretics. And he's saying, well, if I'm going to be in Samaria, I'm going to share the gospel. Dude, I love Philip. How do you not love this guy? You got, I love the moxie of it. And just saying, it doesn't matter if you murder Jews. They're going to murder me in Jerusalem anyway, so I might as well tell you the gospel too. And here's Philip, and he shows up in Samaria. And, and, and listen, <laughs> This makes me laugh. Uh, he shows up in there, just regular Philip, and here's what they do. Verse 6, and the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. That by itself is an act of God. For a bunch of Samaritans to listen to a Jew, that's serious, you guys. And that's God working in their hearts. They're all, these crowds are gathering around this regular, non-trained person of the church, and they're going to hear this guy pre present the gospel? When they heard him and they saw that they believed in this, when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. Look at verse 7. The unclean spirits are crying out with a loud voice. They came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Like, okay, this is crazy, dude. Like, regular Philip is like doing uh, apostle-like mission. Like, you realize how insane this is? Like, listen, I, I don't even know what I would do. Like, he's sitting here, he's talking to these crowds, they're gathering and he's healing people, he's casting out demons. Like, listen, I don't even know this world. This is like an imaginary world. Like, like I mean, this is, this is crazy strong. Like God is clearly working. And it's just, it's happened all over the place. And look at how crazy this story gets. Look at verse nine. It's not just a big crowd. There's this one dude named Simon in there. There was this man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and he'd amazed the people of Samaria saying that he himself was somebody great. So this dude, Simon, he's got these magic skills. Let's just call that demon stuff, okay? We'll just call that, that's, that's not good. You don't wanna mess with Simon. That's like the local witch doctor type guy. Like he's showing up, he's got this magic stuff that he does. He's clearly messing with demons. He's got some type of power and he basically tells everyone in town, I'm a big deal. And they believe him because if you don't believe him, he does bad things to you. Like he, he does magic stuff. Like don't think like card tricks, okay? You need to think like scary, crazy type magic stuff. This is, this is evil, verse 10. And they all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest saying, this man is the power of the God that is called great. Like, here's this guy with this demonic influence doing these crazy things in the city, and they're scared of Simon. 
Like, uh-oh, we about to have a good old-fashioned like church fight here. I got Simon the magician, Philip the deacon. Sunday, 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 live in Samaria. Like, they're going five rounds, and it's going to be brutal. Like, uh, oh, man, like, what's going to happen when Simon and Philip meet? Like, it's, it's, it's Philip. It's not even Peter or John. Like, I need one of the big dogs. This is Simon. This dude is freaking me out, right? It's just regular Philip. Listen to what happened. Uh, verse 12. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So these crowds are hearing about Jesus. They're getting baptized. And then verse, tw- verse uh, 13. Even Simon himself believed. I go, oh, okay. Now this just got real in this city. Like the, the guy that should not believe just believed. And he even got baptized. He can, and he follows Philip, and he's seeing signs and great miracles performed. This dude's totally amazed. Listen, this is the powerful work of God. And I want to remind you what that mission was we mentioned in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It was where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Now, I mentioned the tension between Jews and Samaritans. But listen, this, it's a lot worse than you realize. Let me, let me tell you a story. In Luke chapter 9, there's a story where Jesus is trying to go to Jerusalem and he's passing through a town in Samaria and they won't let Jesus come into town. And two of the apostles, James and John, John, you, you know John, like that real tender-hearted guy, John? You know what they go to Jesus and say? You want us to call down fire from heaven and kill all these dudes? Because we'll do it right now. Is that what you want, Jesus? Let's do it. Let's, let's destroy the Samaritans. And Jesus is like, bro, I need, y'all need to chill out. Like, just calm down, right? That, that, that's the attitude that some of the apostles have towards Samaritans. And this mission of Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria just got real. They got a whole town converted. This whole town of Samaritan just placed their trust in Jesus. And if you think the issue in Jerusalem between the the Greek-speaking Jews and the Hebrew-speaking Jews is rough, what's going to happen when you mix a whole bunch of Samaritans in the pot called the church? These people don't like each other. What does that do to the Jerusalem church? Like they're saying, dude, does God save Samaritans? They're about to send the apostles down there. Look at verse 14. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John. Like, okay. Like, Peter and John, hey, we need you guys to go down there. Peter, you need to go with John because he's a hothead. Would you ever have thought that would have been said out loud ever in the history of the world? John wants to call down fire from heaven. Peter, go calm him down. Okay, like, okay, this is a bad idea. We should pick two other people that aren't as fiery as Peter and John. But Peter and John are going down to Samaria. They're going to find out, hey, what's really going on? Is God really saving Samaritans? And I need you to imagine what this is like for Jews. I want you to think about this. Think about how risky and messy this is. Now they're small groups. Their church have these people that don't know the Bible like all the Hebrews do. They don't even know the prophets. And they don't really like Jerusalem. These people don't like each other. So for a Jew, they're sitting there going, am I supposed to come to this group, this Bible study? Are my Jewish kids supposed to hang out with those Samaritan kids now? They're not safe, man. Samaritans kill Jews. Think about that tension. 
Like, and, and now we're in Bible study, and I go to talk about Isaiah, and now the conversation totally changed because dude isn't even sure Isaiah is a part of the Bible. What am I supposed to do with a bunch of Samaritans in my Bible study? Hey, can you send Peter and John down here? Because these people are messed up, man. Like, they're totally messed up. And imagine the Samaritans. Hold on, whoa, whoa, whoa. You want me to go to a Bible study with Jews? Those are always the people that look down. They never accept Samaritans. They treat us like they think we're half-breeds. They think that we're heretics. They're like the snooty, highfalutin type that always look down on us. You want my kids to hang out with some Jewish snob kids? Is that what's going on? Oh, man, I, I got, I, this is about to get real. It, it reminds me, uh, my first church job ever. I was a youth pastor at a church plant, and um, it was a smaller church plant. We had like 40 people in the church plant. And, um, I, and a youth pastor at a church plant of 40 people, you got like four kids, dude. I mean, that's what you got. I had four kids. It was one family. They were like these committed people that said, we're here to help start a church. Right, so they, they got, they got a, I thought a bunch of kids. I got five now, so who am I to judge? Uh, they had four kids. Three of them were in the youth group. And so I've got, they're my three churchy Bible kids. They're homeschooled. They read the Bible. They know all the good stuff about Jesus. And as the church grew, the youth group grew. But the youth group didn't grow with church kids. Like, I remember my first three conversations with parents as a youth pastor Conversation number one, my son was selling marijuana at school today. Can you go visit him in juvie? Conversation number two, I think my daughter's about to get pregnant. She's 15, just like her sister did. Can you go have a conversation with her? Conversation number three, um, my, I, my son stole a car, and uh, I'm not even going to get that conversation. I remember the first three thinking, what have I gotten myself into? You know what conversation number four was? It was the church mom and dad coming to me saying, I don't think I want my kids hanging out with the youth group kids. Y'all can understand that concern, right? I got drug dealers, car thieves, and girls that are about to get pregnant at 16, and they've got these pristine kids that have like books of the Bible memorized is what it felt like, right? And I'm mixing those two together in a youth group? And if you think that was crazy, you should have seen the church. Because their parents were there, and it was just, dude, it was messy. All right, just seriously messy. That's what Jerusalem is experiencing right now. We just let all the Samaritans in. Now, now church, I, I need to hit a pause here real, real quick. Here's the pause I got here. You need to know this. When a church that's existed for a while starts to reach people with the gospel, Things get really messy. You just need to know that if, if God starts using this church to reach people in Tallahassee, if, if we're serious about the mission that he gave us, that every man, woman, and child in Tallahassee should have a chance to respond to the gospel, and if this church starts reaching people, it's going to get real uncomfortable for us. And the question for us is, are we okay with that? Are, are we going to hold on tightly to the mission and hold on loosely to our preferences? Is that, or are we going to say, no, 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 listen, listen. I want those people to get saved, but clean them up and then let them get in here. Like, you, you got, that, that's not the church. Entrance into the church is placing your trust in Jesus. 
He does the cleaning at his time, at his pace. And if we get too uptight and too rigid, listen, church, they're not going to want to be around us. If Jesus is going to use us to reach people, it's going to get messy in here, and we should celebrate it. We really should, because that's exactly what Jesus wants. I'm telling you right now, his will for us is for us to reach people with the gospel. And that looks a certain way. That means our preferences start to go out the window as our group starts to change. It doesn't mean that we lose some of our preferences. It also means this, that we have to be very generous with our welcome and invitation into relationship. I mean, just imagine a Samaritan. He's showing up, he, this guy that's been a Jew his whole life, that knows all the Bible. He's even been a Christian. He's been persecuted for Jesus. And now as a Samaritan, I'm showing up here to, to his house to eat a meal. Like I probably, I might even eat pork. I don't know. He's just showing up to eat a meal with a Jew. I don't know the Bible. I don't know if they're going to welcome me. Do you realize how thoughtful and loving and gracious those Jewish believers would have to be towards those Samaritans? Because that, that's the mission. And if they just say, well, let them come in and I, I keep them at a distance and me and my Jewish buddies over here circle up because I've known them for three months and we've been through fire together, that dude's never gonna get into my little group. Those Samaritans will never get in unless these people over here who are huddled by the power of Jesus with love for these people say, listen, we're opening up. We're not gonna huddle. We're not gonna say, hey, stay here for 10 years and then you can get in the group. We're gonna open, we're gonna pivot and open up repeatedly because they're gonna need encouragement and invitation. We're gonna have to assure them over and over and over again, we love you and we want you here. Church, it's not enough for us just to release preferences. We've gotta be open with relationship. Let me tell you why I say that. Look at what happens here. So Peter and John show up. Look what they see in verse 15. So they come down and they're praying for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. This is a crazy thing. These Samaritans got saved and they didn't get the Holy Spirit like everyone else did in Jerusalem. So they're trying to figure out what's going on, but they realized, verse 17, then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Like there's this crazy thing that's happening that it now... We'll get into this later as we're studying Acts, but one of the things that God does is he's, he's giving these stamps of affirmation with the Holy Spirit so that the believers know these people are legitimate. And so they're showing up there, and this is also for the Samaritans. They need to know, no, you're part of the Jerusalem church as well. You're not, there's not a Samaritan church and Jerusalem church. There's one church. You don't get to bow up and separate so can you imagine this moment that Peter and John come down and there's these Samaritans that got saved and Peter and John got to put their hands on these people. So you believe in Jesus? And they're saying, yeah, I believe in you. You've been baptized? Yes, you want to follow Jesus? Yes, I want to follow Jesus. They say, well, let me pray for you. And they're praying. They get the Spirit. Let me tell you what that just did for the church. For Peter and John, it told them, these people are really part of God's plan. They belong. Peter and John needed to hear and see that those Samaritans belonged in the church. And the Samaritans needed affirmation that they belonged in the church. That's why God stalled the giving of the Spirit to the Samaritans. You're going to see it again with Cornelius, and we'll explain that in a couple chapters. Dude, it's, just, it's this powerful thing. 
It's this awesome and powerful thing. And church, I believe that God wants our church to be varied and broad and inviting to all sorts of people. That means we've got to loosen our preferences and open up our relationships. But there's something else. With that messiness, there's a whole lot of junk that comes. It doesn't mean that everything goes. So here's Simon. Okay, remember Simon, the big dog Simon, the guy that should have had the 12 rounds with Philip, but he didn't. Uh, Simon sees that as the apostles are putting their hands on these people and praying for them, they're getting the spirit. Simon still has some old ways of thinking and believing. Look at what happens in verse 18. Now, when Simon saw that the spirit was given to the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the spirit. He's saying, listen, that's strong. Can, hey, how much do I have to pay so that I have the, the power to be able to give that privilege away? I want to lay hands on people and give them the spirit. Like, this is an old way of thinking. He's thinking, listen, that's how I got my magic stuff. I paid. I went to the guys that had the demon power, and I paid for it, and they gave it to me. That's, isn't that how it works here? And that's not how the church of God works. And Peter, Peter's open and welcoming the Samaritans, but he's not open and welcome to the old ways of thinking. And, dude, he gives this rebuke. Whew. Dude, this rebuke, I mean, you know Peter. You know he can dish it out, right? So let's just see what he says. Uh, verse 20, but Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you. Listen, I, I would say that in regular American language, but you'd be offended at what I just said. <laughs> okay? He basically said, you, you and your money both can go to hell. That's basically what he just said. I want you to perish. You and your money, you can perish. That kind of foolishness, no. Look at what he, I mean, Peter, good grief. Because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You don't, you don't buy the spirit. You don't manipulate God. That's not how this works. You don't buy leadership in the church. You don't buy the power of God. It's all a gift from God. Verse 21, you have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Okay, well, listen, we're, he's still dropping elbows, and Peter's still not done. He's saying, you don't have a part of this. Your heart, man, your heart is, is totally wrong before God. Verse 22, repent. It's gracious. Say no. He's not saying you're done forever. He's saying repent. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. And then he, he gives this description, for I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. That's, uh, that's kind of old English saying, dude, you are wrapped up in sin and it is bitter and gross and vile. Bro, you need to repent. You need to repent right now because if you don't, listen, you are wrapped up, you are tied up in sin and you're miserable in this way of thinking. Now, the only response we have from Simon is, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you've said may come upon me. We, we don't know if he really repented or what he did, but, but here's what we do know. We do know this, that even though God wants us to be gracious and welcoming, there's a certain line that we need wisdom from God to know what are the things we throw down on and what are the things we're patient and gentle with. Church, when I look at this passage, I'm excited about a church that reaches out to the broken people of their community, even though it's uncomfortable. I'm excited about leadership that leans in and says, we're going to welcome you and invite you in. And I'm, I'm scared about what it takes to have the wisdom to know what to confront and when to confront and how to do it. 
But church, this is what I believe God has called us to be as a church. So I'm going to ask you to respond to a few things. Here's some of my questions for you to, to search your heart. The first one is this. Listen, are you holding on to preferences and the desire to be comfortable in the church at the expense of reaching people? Are you happy with the way things are, saying, I don't, I don't want things to change. I don't, I don't want to feel like the church isn't what it used to be. Like, and if reaching people means things change, if I was honest, I don't want us to reach people. Is that attitude solidifying in your heart? I, I don't know if it is. You, you know your hearts. I need you and God to do business on that one. I believe, church, you have a heart to reach people. I really do. I believe you have a heart to flex, but I want to make sure we keep that heart that says we will change whatever has to be changed to reach people and help them feel welcome in the body of Christ. The, the second thing, listen, God wanted his mission to happen and persecution wasn't going to stop it. And, and I wonder, do you have the same heart for reaching people in our city that Jesus has? Do you have a heart? Do you actually believe that God wants to use you in your neighborhood and in your work, and in your family, and at your school, do you think he actually wants to use you to reach people? Do you have the same heart for the lost that Jesus has? Or, or are you so busy with whatever you've got going on, or so busy just getting your family to survive, that the thought of the mission, it just never enters into your mind or to your heart. It doesn't enter your mind and heart. It will never enter your life. Church, it's one thing to say, yeah, we're willing to flex, but my question is not just are we willing to flex. My question is, are you willing to engage the mission? Are you willing to figure out how to reach your neighbors? And not just engage in events. I mean, you personally be used over a meal at your house or, or, or over a lunch break at work or over an intentional engagement with your classmates or your coworkers. Like, are you willing to actually step into the mission? Or are we just going to be a church that talks about it but never engages it? The third challenge I have for us, are we a welcoming church? I, I believe God's doing this work. But I'm looking at this and I'm saying, man, they had to welcome these Jews. They, they had to step out and, or welcome these Samaritans. They had to step out and engage the Samaritans. But, but they also had to welcome them in. Are we a welcoming church? I think we are. I really do. I see y'all talking to people all the time, but we got to keep after that. But there's something deeper that I think I want here. I don't want just welcoming on a Sunday morning. Are we willing to open our homes and our dinner tables? We want to open up our families and our schedules for people in the church or for people who are outside that are trying to come in? Or is it only going to be, well, I'll greet on a Sunday morning, but don't expect me to talk to anyone outside of this time? My church, the early church welcomed them not just by shaking hands on Sunday morning. Their dinner tables were open and their living rooms and their lives. And, and finally, I, I have another challenge. I, I, I can't move past this passage and not look at Simon. I sit there and go, man, there's this guy that he placed trust in Jesus maybe. We, we don't really know. But he was twisted and broken and off. He missed that the gift of God was free. He heard the gospel. He, he believed it. He got baptized. But somewhere along the way, he shifted back to, I earn it. I buy it. 
and got away from the free gift of God that's been bought for us by Jesus. Listen, if you're a person here who's trying to earn it with God, I want to earn is condemnation. We're, we're too broken and twisted on the inside. That's why God loved us enough to not just judge us. He sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. And he says, listen, if you'll place your trust in Jesus, if you'll trust what he did on your behalf and you'll believe that God brought him back from the dead and you'll ask me to save you, then I will save you and give you a new heart. You don't earn it. It's a gift. Church, it's easy. It is easy to be religious. It's easy to be clean. And it's really easy to miss the gospel. Listen, if you've been trying to earn God's favor, if you've been trying to earn God's gift and God's salvation, I want you to stop that and place your trust in Jesus and his, paid, his complete work for us on the cross. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? I want to give us a, a moment for a time of response. This is a time right there in your seat you can do business with God. In a moment, we'll stand up and sing. And, um, and, and you can either sing with us. Or if you need to speak with someone, our pastors and decision counselors will be down front. If you need to pray at the altar, you can do that. It'll be open. But right now, would you just do a moment and would you, would you seek your heart and ask if there's anything that God did in your heart? Is there anything he convicted you of? If he did, you just simply repent and ask him to forgive you. Is there anything he's calling you to do? Is there a neighbor or a coworker or a classmate or a friend or an unsafe family member? Did he put anyone in your heart for you to figure out how to lovingly and graciously engage? If he did, would you ask him to help you and give you wisdom and would you do something about that this week? Listen, maybe as, as you saw this thing, the thing that stood out to you, the thing wasn't there was something you repent of or something you were supposed to do. What, what stood out to you was, man, look at how strong God is, that, that he's using regular people, that he's saving people who are far from God and twisted. And like if there's something that was awesome about God, would you worship him in your seat for being gracious and strong and for using regular men and women? Maybe for you, the thing that God did in your heart today was, man, you, you felt a conviction. Man, you may have been in church, you may have been religious, you, but you've never actually really placed your trust in Jesus and gotten saved. Man, if that's you, I just want to encourage you right there in your seat. Would you just ask Jesus to save you? Tell him that you believe he died on the cross and came back to life and, and ask him to save you. It's that simple. In a moment, I'm going to pray, and then after that, we'll stand and sing again. Our altar will be open. We'll have passions and decision counselors down front if you need more time to do business with God. Um, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, I, I'm glad that you're kind. I'm glad that you're strong and you're patient. God, I, I'm, I'm glad that you pursue people who are far from you. God, thank you for working. Thank you for not making this thing for the elite and for the clean and for the religious well, you came to save every man, woman, and child. God, we're grateful that your gospel is strong and you gave us a mission. And I pray for us as a church, you'd help us to engage that. I pray we'd be people who would welcome 
people in and we would pursue people with your love and good news. And I pray it all in Jesus' name, amen.